0: In this final episode of our Chongqing series, Luke and I discuss a narrative prevailing about China, mostly coming from the US, with the UK following just behind. The police state, the government which suppresses human rights and censors freedom of information, and who abhor democracy. But what you probably don't know is just how similar our systems of governance and societal structures are to the Chinese model. We certainly didn't until so we lived in China, and came back to witness some very startling and similar circumstances in our home countries. Luke and I have been connecting the dots for some time now, some of which we will share with you as we close out on our China series. All right, Luke, I have an idea for this episode. If you've, um, before we get into it, I'd rather you clear your throat right now, because I don't want your dry cough messing up this serious vibe, not today.
1: Um, Okay, drag me through the mud before we dive into the sticks fight.
0: (laughs) Now now you're just about to spite me. (laughs) No, but if we've done it, this is our, you know, we've got through two and this is our final and last third part episode in our third part series. And it's going to be a serious one today, isn't it?
1: Um, Yeah, it'll be quite serious. I don't think um there's a lot to discuss a lot of interesting points to discuss and i think one of those main things is just because we've been in china which is so quick and i'm so I've to share this experience you know over these three episodes but i think this is might be the most unique part of the the little series that we have going because it's such a unique perspective
0: definitely and i think before we get into it, i do want to put out a disclaimer um we everything that we're going to be discussing we are literally talking about our experiences so our eyewitness accounts over a year-long observation like we're not fear mongerers for the sake of it we're not that bored or unproductive we both have jobs um but as you know carrying on with the theme of radical than reason like we kind of you know we aim to seek out the gray and no one really talks about how similar you know, these Western East and Eastern countries are. You know, we always hear about, oh, the East, you know, they have certain values and norms and they don't like democracy. And then, what, you know, being British and being American, we're so used to, particularly in America, carrying the beacon of, you know, civil liberties and all that stuff. But actually, we're actually, you know, converging and going in the same direction. And um, there's a lot of grey that's not discussed that we will get into today, but we're not doing it for the sake of fear-mongering. It's, we, we've experienced it. And we're going to be giving you, like, you know, personal experiences.
1: Yeah, and I, and that's a very true point. And you know, I love that. I also think that, you know, whatever we're talking about, if we mention, like, you know, different sides, we're not trying to speak for one specific side, you know, for the West or for the East or for China or for the US. We are just sharing, like I said, our experience. There's much more research out there that we can look into and you can read um, in your own time, but this is just, kind of our perspective from behind our eyes and our world or our life on a year in China. Definitely.
0: So what were some of your personal thoughts or preconceptions um, before arriving? I know that more so in the US than in the UK, um, China doesn't exactly fare very well in American media. So what were you ever influenced by that? What was your perspective before before touching down we lean Chongqing.
1: yeah so i think um i discussed this in the first episode a little bit but i didn't do like much research before going but i think you know i was leaving uh, on like august 2018 um so i think the overall situation and relationship between the u.s and china wasn't in the best um spot like i was i was a little nervous to go over just because i was like you know it's China and you hear so many things, like you hear about how strict they are, you hear about you know, there's cameras everywhere you hear about you can't do this, you can't do that you can't like speak your mind, you can't talk about this thing, and, and even I think you know, some of my family members were, were quite um, vivid with their what am I trying to say, sorry with their recommendations and how I should act and how I should behave over there, because obviously I can't they were saying I shouldn't be the same outspoken person that I typically am, you know, and living in America because they just don't have that, you know, freedom or that ability in China and just to be careful and to be safe and just to um, be wary of anyone, you know, whether they're a stranger or someone I know, any anyone just to be on alert. Um, I think that was the sense of like distrust almost with, with not necessarily you know like the people there but just the overall the system of government just the the way of life over there i guess because yeah. um, it was just it was much seen as just like a very controlled and very not but um you know you never know what's going on behind the curtain i guess
0: did you have um, this perception that you were going to like lose your freedoms? Because I don't know what it's like to be in the US. I visited, but I've not obviously grown up there. But you know, when you compare the two, you would think, well, we're so much more free in America. Did you assume that, okay, well now I'm not gonna have much freedom. Now I can't like you said, be myself. I can't maybe talk about politics or government openly. Did you kind of maybe feel a bit bad or sorry for people there? Um, I'm a little bit different in the sense that and Brits a bit, are a bit different to America in that we don't really have that constitution. We don't grow up with that Pledge of Allegiance. We're actually very cynical. Most of us don't even know the second um, verse of our national anthem. You know, God save the Queen. I don't. Um, we, we were not raised with that. Um, and I think that's you weren't because... You
1: is what you're saying.
0: <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> I, think, well, I, think, I think what it is is... Um, the UK for decades have been going through this period of decolonization, they still are,
1: mm-hmm. but they're
0: feeling apologetic about it. Um, yes. And in the same way that the Germans, and I, I, I visited Germany and the same way that, and we were told by our tour guide and we were going around some of the museums in Berlin that we never talk about our past boastfully. We're actually taught to be ashamed of it and very, we have to be <clears> humble <throat> and very apologetic. It's the same in, in the UK, when you're learning about British history and the empire, you never learn about it from a positive perspective. It's always, you know, they talk about racism, they talk about oh, the whole divide and conquer, which they should, to be honest, because it, it did happen. It was all part of yeah. that. But we were never raised, my generation I was born in the 1990s, as you were. We were never raised to be kind of, but like, blindly patriotic. But my perspective of America is that with your constitution and with your way of upbringing, it's you basically see yourselves as the superpower, the best in terms of democracy and civil liberties, the like the model of how to live. So what what well, was that are, like growing up? We are
1: I'm <laughs> kidding. But um
0: What was that like growing up? And then did you take that into China? Because I kind of went into China more open, I think.
1: Um, I mean so a couple of things to answer with your with your question there, but I think in the beginning, you had said uh, I feel like I wasn't going to have the same freedoms and like civil liberties and stuff that I feel like I had to prepare for that. Honestly, my, um, so I had a laptop cover. I know that you probably remember my pink cover that I had, but I had one that was black and I had a bunch of like pride stickers on there. I had some rainbow stickers and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And before I left, um, you know, I was recommended to like take the stickers off. Just because I didn't know what the situation, the vibe was going to be in China, so, um, and I was kind of annoyed, and I didn't want to do it, so I didn't take them off. I just bought a new cover (laughs) because I didn't want to take off, rip the stickers. Um, so that was something that I was—that was probably something that I was the most nervous about, in the sense because I didn't know anything about, you know, LGBTQ rights um, or anything like that in China. You don't really hear much about that well, the situation is, so I didn't really know how to prepare for that. So that's probably one of the biggest things I was nervous about and, like, didn't know how to prepare. I'm really just, like, you know, be as undercover as possible. Before I had, like, moved to China, I had been, obviously, to Indonesia with my family, so my family lives, and to places in Europe. So um, I kind of, like, I don't know, had that international perspective a little bit, but obviously when i first was going to move there i was you know i knew it was going to be different um i don't know i guess i didn't really think about that much depth as in i think
0: what i'm trying to get at is if from the uk perspective we don't really we didn't really hear much of of china to be honest. i mean we've been consumed since post since 2016 we've been so consumed with brexit 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 um, in, in terms of international news particularly if you kind of stick to mainstream news particularly the BBC we but we whenever I would hear of China internationally it was always along the lines of the US versus China in this trade war but but I don't know what you've been told domestically nationally within Amer- as Americans by you oh, oh. like the media yeah, yeah, what's yeah. the media per- sort of perspective or portrayal of china Chinese Chinese people, but probably these Chinese state. Before yeah, um, did so... that influence? Did it, did that influence you going to China or in? Did you carry that when you went to China?
1: I would say when I first uh, like confirmed I was going to get like accepted the position and told people I was going to China. They were like, Oh, really, China? Like why? They were very shocked that I chose China. Like out of all the countries in the world to choose, why China? And I, then I was always like, I don't know. I mean, it's a big country. And it's in Asia. I don't know. I didn't have a specific reason, but I think. A lot of people have this perception that there's nothing worthy or like worth note in China. Like there's nothing like, oh like why wouldn't you rather go to, you know, Japan or go to South Korea, you know, these other countries that have more to offer, you know, there's more international life, there. there's just more stuff there. And I think as far as you're saying like in the news, I think China's always been painted in a bad light. You know, it's either um, you know, the crackdown on um surveillance, you know, or you know, the situation between Taiwan and Hong Kong or whatever else is going on in those in those areas and the struggle between China itself. And I think it's always just been seen as um, someone that doesn't have much to offer, like a, a foreigner, especially an American, you know, especially with the whole communism thing going on. Like, there's, there's a lot of that. Um, you know, why would you want to go to a country that has you know, that kind of lifestyle setup when you come from a democracy with the most free, free land and free constitution, and all that stuff in the world. I think that was a big part of, or a big question that people had, though, was like, why, why China? Why did you choose China? Um, and there really was no specific reason, as I said. But yeah, I don't know if that really answers your question, Annie, but I don't think, I think mostly it is painted negative, and I, I, will, I guess we'll get into this a bit later, but definitely after I had arrived 2018, the perception got much more negative from yes. the U.S., you know, and China. And I guess we can talk about that a little bit, a little bit later. Yeah. But
0: sure. So let's go along the lines of okay. So we think whenever we think of China from the Western perspective, we are told lack of freedom, of information, censorship. We always think we always have that phrase, human rights abuses, and we always hear this phrase. I think the big state or the police state. How much of that did we experience? Like, much of that is true because it is it is true to an extent it really is
1: um yeah i mean i think it's interesting that um because i think when we had first you and i first met in china you had said police state a couple times referring to china referring to like the government and everything and i don't think that i had really heard china called a police state that often until i think you have been like one of the first i've mentioned it like a couple oh, really? times oh it's so, something I mean, that we that...
0: definitely hear of in the uk um uh, and actually okay. a couple of days ago when, uh, when i was in um at a friend's house um i don't know why we were discussing china but again that phrase was used but um and during the year that we were there there is high security everywhere you go i remember in the Uh, there's a busy Chongqing Square and they'd have frequent police demonstrations where you have hundreds of police officers um, like decked out in that, you know, their equipment, their uniform, police cars around them and they would have these marches and there was a huge square filled of police people policemen and women with screens behind them, you know, everywhere you would go, you'd see the Belt and Road Initiative, in airports you would see billboards um, showing the prowess of the Chinese army and police and the military, you had that constant feeling and, and perception. If, if, you, if you were Chinese, that is, is that, wow, look at our strengths, you know? Mm-hmm. Similar to how they do in no. North Korea, when you see clips of North Korea, you just see you just see rows and rows and rows of militarized or uniformed personnel and it's this physical demonstration that you just do not see in the UK. I'm not sure about the US, but I've never seen a police demonstration like that. The only time I see police decked out like that, if, if there's a protest that's gone really ugly and they've gone mm. to sort of break it up, but they don't have these sort of locked in in a square marching and saluting all that stuff. And, and people come out and watch and they film and they think it's amazing. And, and they kind of tap into, because they've been raised with, we are a superpower, we are strong, um, and this is how they demonstrate that might and that strength, so that was something that did illustrate that concept of the police state to me, whilst there, I saw it with my own eyes, I said, you know, what was your yeah, perception I mean, when, when you first saw that?
1: Well, so it's it's funny, that you because I don't know if the first time I had seen it was in um, that square that you're talking about, which is like in the centre of um, the city, but even like, you know, I live maybe like 20 minutes on the train from, you know, by where we worked. Um, I don't know if you had seen this too, but like at nighttime or like during the day, there would just be like, like almost like a, what do you call it? Just like a row of maybe like, maybe three wide and then maybe like eight down of just like policemen just marching on the street, you know. And I I don't think they would be talking about, they're just marching around. I didn't know what they were doing, like, in circles, like, for, like, an hour or so. And and I remember the first time I saw that, I think I went out of my apartment to go get dinner or to go get food or something. And I was like, what is going on? Like, who are these? Like, is there something, is there a demonstration going on? Or, like, did something happen? And then it just kept being quite normal. Like, I would just see them, you know, w- with random, anywhere I would go in the city, you know, just, like, random times. I would just catch, like, a group of policemen just, like, marching. Like, literally, when I say was- I'm not like using that word I'm like they were literally like one step altogether one step altogether like mm-hmm. very synchronized very like methodical
0: they're very exactly very orchestrated and I think that initially for, you know, from outside of perspective think, oh what's happened like you know is some, has something happened Is someone been killed or has there been a robbery or but, it, but they're random almost they kind of it's part of the fabric of the society you'll see them physically there and I think, I don't really know what the point is, but I suppose it's just to kind of show people we are, we're constantly here, you know? Um, no, and think. on the one hand, it does make you feel safe because there's police personnel around and you know, at, all, at any any point of the day and at night, um, I only saw them during the day, really. Um, but at the same time, it's kind of a warning to, whether it's sort of being your best behavior, but this, whatever it is, it's just this constant Feeling of well, they're there. This constant police presence, and that's all you really need Uh, um, in a state that's no control. Really,
1: I think that's quite intentional. You know, like they want you to obviously feel that like they're always. If the cameras don't catch you, then our policemen walking around will definitely catch you. It's like one way or the other.
0: Well, let's talk about the cameras because we saw quite a few go up during our time in Chongqing.
1: That I don't. I don't remember if I had seen it like the next day, but I think I had went. I went somewhere like I might have went like on a trip somewhere hiking for a few days, or a week. I came back and like literally the, around the street that was around my building, there was like five new cameras, and I was like, <laughs> "There was already two cameras here." <laughs> so, I know. I, I
0: remember. Um, I think I don't really know at what point they started to cro- quit crop crop up so I think I sorry I arrived in May 2018 and I would do the same route back and forth you know five days a week to and from work but I think within like six months or so of getting that I was I was like I'm sure I just I would just start noticing more and more and they're quite big they're not like covert ones yeah. like they're blocky they're square they're sat on top of traffic lights as you're crossing the you know the, the sat you know near street lamps or you know lampposts as we call them and um yeah, it's very, um, it's very eerie.
1: And I mean, another, like a side note on the whole camera thing, like you, maybe your perception is like, oh, they're just like in the city. Like it's just very much to people are safe in the city. Um, That is like yeah. cameras, I will say literally everywhere. I, I might've yes. shared this in an earlier episode or not, but I was hiking in the middle of the forest on a mountain. And I'm like hiking up there by myself or with someone, I forget. And like I come around the corner and there's like a pole with a camera on it in the middle of the woods. And like, as I'm walking, the camera is like following me. And I'm like, I was the only person I had seen up there for like an hour. So, I mean, that camera didn't have much action going on up there, but it was watching me. That was like, I was like very astonished by that. Really, even out here in the like the middle of the woods, you have a camera to like see what's going on.
0: I think that was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed the Great Wall of China so much. I don't really remember many cameras. It just felt very free and very liberating, unless they had smaller cameras. We didn't notice, but maybe we were just trained to see those big blocky ones. But yeah, you you, you basically had cameras wherever you would go. Um, and I suppose for someone, people such as us, who, you know, are, obviously we were tourists and we observe and then we go back to our, our homes. It's not so Bad. It's still alarming, but I don't really know what it's like for people, you know, people who live there. But at the same time, I don't honestly think that people are noticing these things because, look, I have never in my life seen so many people walk around glued to their phones, constantly. They look around the metro, and no one is giving you eye contact because they're just walking around on their phone. They're crossing the roads with their phones. I'm naturally quite observant and and like to be in a kind of state of high security and, and alert, but. Yeah, I don't really. I think it creeps up on people who are just not paying attention. And I don't no, think I, many people are.
1: I remember talking to um one of the local teachers who I you know, grew very close with, and I was I I think we were hanging out one day outside of work. But I was like, what how, like, I just wanted to know. Was like, how do you feel with these cameras? Like, there's cameras like everywhere. Like, what? Like, did you get used to it? Like, what what is your what do you think about them? And she was like, I. Really I just them one and two they make me feel safer like they make me feel uh, like, you know, as, a, as a woman she's like oh, they feel like I can go home at night and like I'll be safe um and that like I don't have to worry because like everyone knows that if you do something bad it will be caught on camera you will be found mm-hmm. and you will like there's not a question it's like oh like if they get caught it's like when you will get caught like which of the thousand cameras that are on this one block will catch you because I mean yeah. that's a fact, and I, I do remember was, um a story, I don't know if you remember, but so Didi is like the driver service app that's, that was in China, yeah. so much like Uber or whatever you use, um, like car hailing service. But like there was in China, but they actually shut Didi down for like a week because there was a driver that had like kidnapped um, their passenger and then like something had happened. They shut down Didi. The whole, for the whole country for like a, a week or a few days and they found they found the the culprit like the the guy who did it within a matter of like hours because like you know they caught his license plate they you know like some camera caught like everything that happened like you know and they were able to track him like within like very quickly um and then resolve the issue and make like the, the security like a little more strict um on, like tracking and whatever but um, it was quite fast that they had found They had, like, shut down the app and then found the person quite quickly and then proceeded with whatever was going on. But, um, but I mean, that goes to show, like, the power of the cameras and the power of the surveillance.
0: Yeah, surveillance, that's what it is. The Metro as well, that was something that was really um, interesting. and we, We'd gotten used to it towards the end, but I remember the very first time I went to the Metro um, alone, probably by myself, I was carrying... Um, was I was did I just go to Starbucks? I have a coffee in my cup? Did I, was it water? But what you have to do is you have to put your bag through a scanner. Every single person has to put whatever they're carrying on them into a scanner. But you put your liquids into this machine and you wait for the the, the light to go green or red. If it's green, then you kind of can go through the barriers. And if you're carrying a hot liquid, you the the guards ask you to drink it to you know, test if it's not, you know, acid or poison or whatever you're carrying um but there's such a high security presence in every single metro every single metro journey there's queues and queues and queues and you cannot get through there's no you know you don't have that freedom of mobility to kind of just hop on the train or hop on the metro you have to go through security and scan all your bags and everything that you're carrying
1: that is i mean i forgot how like long the lines would get like in center city or whatever but yeah, that was something that, that caught me off guard. I was like, first of all, like, what are they checking for? What's going on? And why is it every time? Even, like, my liquids, I would always forget. Like, if if, if a liquid is in, ba- in your bag and you put it through the scanner, you have to take it out, scan the liquid, and then scan the bag again. Um, and it would always take so much time. But coming from the States, you know, like, New York City, I usually take the metro or, like, Washington, D.C. Um, even, like, on the actual, like where the, where the train line is, like, we don't have any, like, barriers, like, we don't have anything hold, like, between us and the track, typically, like, you can, like, if you accidentally trip, you could fall into the track, for example, at every metro station that I had ever been to in China, I think, there was always, always, like, a huge barrier, like, if it was underground, it would just be a huge glass door that would, like, be the, the track, um or if it was just like a tall bear that you can't like jump over but that um i guess it obviously makes sense for safety but that was something that i also like didn't realize like how normal that was um because i think in the uk they have that but um yeah so like that
0: yeah but the, uh, we don't scan our bags and we don't scan our liquids separately from you know you like said you've got one machine that deals with your bags and your carry-ons and you have one machine that deals with liquids alone and Yeah, it just adds to that, wherever you go, even the most mundane shopping trip, you have to go through security if you're using public transport. And anything public, you know, any sort of public institution has high levels of security. Um, One of the most immediate tests that we had to do when we arrived there was to go through the police checks. Do you remember? So
1: quite nerve-wracking. <laughs> I was very nervous for that just because it was just, it just seemed like excessive. Like you had to do like a, um, a, like a separate interview, right? Like with yes. the, oh, like at the police station, but then like you had to get like your visa verified and that was another interview and you basically just had to say what you were doing there and why you were coming. What kind of <coughs> questions did they ask you? Do you remember?
0: Well, I don't really remember. Um, it was just a case of, because we would, luckily for us, we had our EF, um, our colleague representative, and they would kind of help us, and they would already kind of put through the legal paperwork, and we just basically had to sit there, and they had to look at our passports versus our actual faces, and just ask us questions about where we're living, and things like that. So I, my initial meeting, I don't really remember it, but what I found excessive was When I then moved my apartment, I was told, every time you register at a a new address, you have to go and re-register at the police station. And it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. the local police station. Because I had a police station just down the road, I had to go to a police station an hour on the subway. I didn't understand why. I don't even know how it works.
1: something weird about, like, districts or something, but it was my police station. Yeah.
0: Wow. Exactly. I didn't really understand that. So I had to re-register six months later when I moved, my changed flats, changed apartments. But they ask as well that you notify the police. Is it before you leave? So during annual leave, you take a holiday and you leave China. So let's say you go to Thailand for a few days or a week, or you mm-hmm. have to re-register with the police station when you come back. I was a bit of a rebel, if I'm very honest. I I did do that. I did be re registering at the police station because I had a new residency permit. And they have to know, obviously, where you are, where you live. But the re registering with the police because I've come back from a holiday was a bit excessive. And I didn't do that.
1: Yeah, no, I. So the funny story about that is, like, I had, you know, I went to. Um, I left to go to Singapore, I left to go to Indonesia a couple. So I left the country a couple of times um, to go traveling. And every time I would go, I would return and I would go to re-register, the police would be like, why are you here? Like, I would translate and say this one, and they were like, okay, like, we don't, like, we don't really know. Like, they didn't you so up. And they were almost, like, annoyed that they had to, like, talk to a foreigner and then figure out what was going on. Because they, they were like, okay, like, they just, like, wrote down some paper and checked it. But they, right. they were just, like.
0: Yeah, I got the sense that they got really frustrated by their own bureaucracy because it doesn't come from them. It comes from you know, the state. It comes from the government level. But it didn't make... See, what I do believe in, like, regarding how I feel, fine. When in Rome, but it didn't make sense. And I think the company was trying to cover themselves. It's like you must re-register when you come back from a holiday. But that didn't make any sense. Um, yeah. Re-registering when you move because now you've changed your residency and that's linked to your resi- residency permit, fine. Yeah. But to go away for a few days and to come back, well... They know I'm back in the country because they, my passport scanned in the, you know, at the airport, and I'm back in the system. You know, um, so yeah. yeah. So I'm glad. I'm glad um, that the police were said to you. Well, why are you here? Because that that's nice. That that kind of gives me a bit of hope well, and that they're not, you know, not overly bearing my- in that sense. Because that's every step and every moment. That's mu- That's too much.
1: No, and I mean, um, another fight, I think the one time I had come in, I had gone there so often. I had, like, known, you know, which floor to go to, and, like, so I would just be, like, point to them. And so even, so you walk into the police station, there's, like, the information desk, and then to go upstairs to the specific offices I need to go to process the paperwork, I had to, like, they had to check my passport, I had to tell them why I was going there, like, all this, all this stuff. Um, but then the one time I had went up there, I had knocked on the door, and no one answered for a little bit so then i just like walked in and everyone was asleep (laughs) in the like in in the whole office they were like i was like laying down and i had like knocked and i was like um hello you know and then she like woke up and looked at me and was like oh and she was like (laughs) i was like oh my god i'm so sorry what (laughs) like they told me to come up here (laughs) but um
0: Clearly, you were at the uh, residency department and not many, they don't get many foreigners.
1: Exactly. Um, but
0: one thing that I did find really, really confusing is that, like, you know, find the bureaucracy was ex- excessive, but it was also the different departments. So I would literally have to go and get a stamp at one end of Chongqing and then take like, a couple of subways to get a stamp at a different, you know. End of Chongqing. I, was like, I don't really understand what's going on here because uh, you know it's legal, it's political jargon. I don't understand what they're saying. And then I just like am looking at this piece of paper. I'm like, are you serious? I just spent an entire day and my day off running around to get two stamps, and th- and these offices are linked, but they're not in the same building. They're in different parts of the uh, of Chongqing. So I don't really know it how like it's set up, but it's very. It was very tough, like
1: very arduous, very tiring. Like, your your stamp story is like is very common because I remember like so many even even um like the local staff would always be like yeah there's really were, what was the saying it was like ah uh, like it was some saying it was like it can't be changed there's like there's nothing there's that you can argue and ask questions and and say this this would be better like this would be the right way to do it but like it just can't be changed there's nothing that you can do and it was a big saying I forget what the word was in Chinese do you remember
0: i'd probably forgotten because i just don't I yeah. hear the words but, in the but i
1: can't remember but yeah but yeah like, even like the local staff would always be like, yeah they had to process this paperwork but it's all like i remember the the you know many of my friends like the local staff would always be like this doesn't make any sense but we just have to do it we just have to do it It's mm-hmm. it's the rule like, that was like, they were just following the rules and they had to do this and that, with I all the with time. all the
0: monitoring and the surveillance and the police presence i don't think they want to argue if that was the uk they'll be kicking off i'm not joking <laughs> people be kicking off and some like, this is a disgrace i would be kicking off but you know they're, they're quite the chinese i've noticed they're a very obedient and a very lawful society in fact law and order is paramount um, maybe we're just out of control <laughs> but you know i think I <laughs> Um, did you have any work right, in sort of personal run-ins with the police? I remember when I had to have my security clearance, this is as I was exiting the country last month or so. This was when the Kong protests were kicking off. So it was 2019, but it was the summer of 2019. So the protests, I think April 2019, this would have been August. Yeah, August 2019. And the police were, in addition to my paperwork, he took my phone and he was going through my WeChat and he was asking me, have I ever um, texted or posted about Hong- the Hong Kong protest? And I was sat there going, the what? And I was making out though <laughs> so I hadn't even heard of the Hong Kong protest. Not that I had, because I don't post on WeChat. Yeah. But he was, he was just making sure that I hadn't you know, blasphemed or said anything anti-Chinese with regards to the protest. And that was, that was interesting. It wasn't unpleasant. He was just asking me very directly. And as he's mm-hmm. asking me, he's also checking is well, at he's checking my
1: WeChat, I, so you know. I can't. You just like gave your phone to this man and just like let him scroll through it like that. Well, is I quite... didn't have a
0: choice. You don't do, you? but I, I, I had nothing like on there. I'd, yeah, you know, of like, course.
1: When did I ever post on WeChat? But
0: did um, you have any personal run-ins with the police that were a little bit,
1: you know, shady? So, um, the one. So back to the travel thing. There was one. I have too many stories, but the one. Was when I was leaving. I think I was leaving to go um, to either Indonesia or Singapore or something. And, you know, like they check your passport to verify whatever, um, you know, to get out of the country. And there was like no one else around, but there was like the the first desk that they check at. And then then you can go to security and like put your bags through it, do whatever. Um, But after I got the first check, um, the guy was like, put my passport to the side, called someone and then told me like to over to the side and just like wait a moment. And I was like, okay, what's, cause he still had my passport at this moment. And I was like, okay, what's going on? Like I'm trying to get onto my plane to like go on my vacation. And then another guy comes up at another desk like a little farther down and he's like, okay, go to him. And then this guy has like a computer. Or, like there's a computer screen by him. And he's like looking at me looking at my passport, looking at the computer typing 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 he doesn't talk to me at all I don't he's just like typing on his computer for like maybe five minutes and I'm like losing my mind I'm like am I gonna get deported like what did I say what did I post like what I didn't post it I mean I don't think I posted anything other than like you know Taylor Swift has a new song or something but (laughs) but then like then he just handed me back my passport and then just pointed to go to continue going and I was There'd been no explanation as to what was going on and why that happened and also like everyone else was just like pat like no one else had to stop at that guy that i was stopped at so i think i
0: think you have the look of a human rights activist journalist and a rabble rouser and i think they were just double checking that you weren't maybe coming into spa spy. honestly um it it does it does happen but um, let's go about well, Tiananmen Square because I think that was when all of us collectively, as as a foreign group, being the only foreigners in that square at the time that we went. This is during our Berlin trip, um, Berlin, Beijing Berlin. <laughs> trip rather. Sorry, um, after the Great War, I think it was the same day. But anyway, we'd gone to the Tiananmen Square. That was very, it felt very, very um, I don't know what's the word? It just felt really, really bizarre, tense, very tense to me. Up there. Yes. to me
1: it felt tense so i mean i i'm gonna sound like an idiot when i say this but i am american so what can you expect um when we had That's first true. come to china they were they were um training was like you know don't mention the three t's if you don't know what the three t's are don't look it up on your phone right now do it you know in your like on a safe network or whatever and i was like what are the three t's um did not know had no idea so then i went later And looked up the three Ts, you know, Tiananmen Square, Tibet, and Taiwan. And I was like, what's going on in these places? So then I did my research. And, you know, I had to use, um, you know, my private network or whatever. But then I discovered what had happened in Tiananmen Square. And I was like, this is crazy. So then we went there. We went to Beijing. And I was like, this is crazy. Because all these people, like, you know, there's that big picture of... um,
0: Mao Zedong?
1: Yes, yeah. And he's like looking across the square and like there's high security, like high, high security. There's like police everywhere, police like all over the place. There's like a specific check, um, security check that foreigners had to go through. I don't know if you remember this, um, but like, yes. the, like locals could go to one side, but then every foreigner had to go to a different side and they had to have their passport checked. They had to have why they were there, like, you know, like a little bit more strict than the other. Because like, I feel like the Chinese people just like swiped their card and went in. Um, but then when we were in there, I even remember the police watching us. I mean, because there there weren't many foreigners, I don't think, but I just saw them looking at us while we were walking around, and and I was even afraid to. Ta- I was afraid to take some. I took some pictures, obviously, but I was afraid to take some pictures because I just had seen them watching us.
0: Yeah, well, my recollection was is that I think they were watching us because. They kept patrolling the square, just generally, um, and there was, there, was, there was like a tank there, right? I remember there was kind of like a tank there, or some kind of like um, mm-hmm. army or police vehicle. It was quite a big, yeah. hawkish thing. But the locals were going up to take selfies, and it was a fun thing. They were laughing and joking, but they were watching us because all of us were really glum, because we'd realised what well, yeah. We've heard about it for so many years, we've read about it, or we've just researched it, whatever. But whenever we think of that square, we think of students, we think of you know bodies under tanks, we think of just death and destruction, right? And none of us were selfieing, we weren't like, grinning or laughing, we were just glum. And we were also taking pictures, not so many, because it did not feel right of just square, mm-hmm. not of us and the squares in the background. And I yeah. think that's why he was, the security guy was shuffling us on because the rest of them were laughing and joking, having a great time. And they were running over to the police and having selfies with them and wanted, uh, wanted selfies with the car or the, whatever that vehicle was. I can't really remember. But it was obvious to them that we clearly knew what was going on or what had gone on. Um,
1: yeah. I, that I, is... Go on. I, I can't even like explain like what... I mean, just like you said, like, we, we, it was such a disconnect from the, like, I felt like we into somewhere that, like, like, it was, I mean, it is a secret to, to, to Chinese people, but it, like a secret is, like, to what this place was, because I just remember feeling so heavy and feeling so, like, even just, like, the area, like, we're just looking at the square, I could just feel, like, not right, and I just felt so eerie and so, like, Ominous, being there and just like looking. Oh, and at
0: everything. I remember the weather. Like it was a classic case of pathetic fallacy because it was raining, it was dark, it was it was miserable. It wasn't a sunny day, but mm-hmm. but I remember I don't know if I said it to you or someone else, but I said they don't know. Are we the only ones that know? It was almost like we were v- invisible, being miserable in the square, and everyone else was just not just not getting it. And I yeah. brought this up to my friend, who at the time was thirty-one or thirty-two a local, we met in Starbucks maybe the following week and I was just catching her up on, you know, because we'd all basically, it was Chinese New Year, so we'd all gone off to do our various things. They probably went back to see their families. So we were just catching up and just, you know, seeing what the other had gone up to during the New Year. And I said, you know, I was in Tiananmen Square and everyone was really happy. And, you know, I told her the story. She said, but why wouldn't they be? And I said, but it's Tiananmen Square. She said, so? And I just had this feeling. I was like, okay, I'm going to Google it and show her. So I googled it. Be- bearing in mind, they don't have Google; they have Bing, right? Mm-hmm. They don't. Bing, they, yeah. Censorship is real. They do not have, you know, access freedom of access. And she was shocked. And then she said, "But, but we don't learn this. It's not in our textbooks." And I said, "Can I, do you mind if you Google, Tiananmen Square on your phone, and we'll do a, we'll do a swap?" Nothing. It didn't come up at all. So. It's not their fault that they're, it's not like they're heartless. They've never been taught this. They don't know their history. The negative aspects you see the Belt Road Initiative, you see police um, prowess and might, you see China is only good and a force for good in this world, but you never ever see any criticism. And while I'm on this note, the first week I was in the office, when I, you know, the first week of my my work week there, the EF had access to BBC Sports and just BBC in general. I remember it was the World Cup. And so um, people were, you know, the locals, particularly the, the foreigners, particularly the guys were, you know, looking at the sport news. But I thought, you know what? Every time I have a break, I'm going to go on the news. There was a BBC report on human rights abuses in China. I mm-hmm. didn't click and I thought, oh, just, I'll read that, you know, tomorrow, or whatever. I'm telling you now, the day after, it was gone. I and mean, we like, from that time, we had no access to the BBC. And that's because any criticism of China is not tolerated. So it's not their fault that they don't know these things, they have a perception, they live in a bubble and they only know positive things about their country. Whereas we come from, particularly in the UK, country that is not ashamed to say we were colonisers, you know, the empire has done more harm than good, etc, etc, etc. You know, we come from that kind of upbringing and climate. And, yeah, it was just surreal to go to these places, Tiananmen Square, to see surveillance, to see, deal with the police, um, knowing what it's like to be comparatively and relatively free, uh, particularly with access to anything, you know, on phones and what have you.
1: Yeah, I think um, it, was, it was just so shocking to me. Like you were saying, when you were talking to um, about Tiananmen Square like on Google versus Bing, and I, I remember when you told me about that BBC thing because um, I, I was like, really? Are you sure? And I had, like, Google and I had, like, put in the Bing the address and it didn't come up either. And I was like, I had just looked at this last week or something. Um, but it's just, it just shows you how quick and how fast they have the ability to do everything, to, to just monitor everything like that much. Like, one article that, like, might have not even, like, if you had went on probably, like, an hour later, you probably wouldn't have seen the article, like, on the headline maybe. Um, but they caught it, right. like, just like that. Um, and, mm-hmm. I mean, I think that just, it, that really made me realize, like, oh, we really do have to be careful, like, how we speak and what we text. Um, especially going back to the Hong Kong um, riots, because we were there um, when they were happening in, in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And I remember the, I remember the, in the office or even, like, I forget who had said it, but they were like, please, Please, like, as, just to the foreigners, do not post anything on your WeChat, or do not text anyone about the protest, about either side. You know, if you're if you're on China side or if you're on um, Hong Kong side or whatever side, do not post anything. But then uh, you could see because we follow all of our coworkers, all of them posting on WeChat about um, about the protest. Like this is this is unlawful. This is unlawful. This is disgraceful this is terrorism, all this stuff. But point Um, out
0: though, Luke, they were saying that the Hong Kongers were unlawful. They weren't saying the Chinese government because the reason that the Hong Hong Kong people were kicking off was because they didn't want the extradition bill, which means that criminals can now be extradited to China. But what's a criminal, right? (laughs) What does that mean? Yes. No, they they, they were very pro their government and there was how dare Hong Kong behave this way they belong to us.
1: And and they, yeah, and they weren't, you know, by staff or whatever, they weren't told not to do that. They were, I mean, we were told specifically not to post anything but then, because it could jeopardize our, like, our visa or anything.
0: But then the locals don't need to be told that because they're not going to be criticizing their government because they've been raised in an environment and they're quite a territorial people. They still believe Tibet belongs to them. They believe Taiwan belongs to them. They believe Hong Kong is theirs. I had a conversation with a friend that said that she'd gone to Mongolia and she said, Well, it's not really Mongolia, it's still China. And I was shocked by that. There's this expansion to that they've been raised with that, you know, they, they own it. They own these territories. They still do.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, and yeah. I remember being, I remember the very second or third meeting we had when we'd first arrived to EF, um, the foreign liaison. She was a local. She was responsible for kind of showing us around the city. We um, were at a restaurant and I don't know how this conversation came up and but i think oh i think one of the american girls said that she wanted to go to taiwan and she she would asked her what do you think um like do you think it's you know a separate country and this local girl looked straight at i heard she said no taiwan belongs to us and my ears pricked up and i said why and she went it just does and that's the mentality that i i experienced like i you know i i didn't ever post anything on wechat because i just wasn't stupid enough to. I just don't think that's said but I definitely made up for it in real life conversation because I was always asking mm-hmm. my friends, "What do you think of your government?" And they'd say things like, "Well, we don't pay much tax. We have good lives. We have good money. Everything's centered around my money, so they only have good things about him to mm-hmm. say about him." I remember that one of the local uh, the kids from EF that fainted when he got to meet President Xi, and it became a huge story in EF and you know in China. He actually like shook hands with the president, and he fainted because he was in such awe that you know he touched his hero. And you know we don't carry that same reverence and respect for our leaders the way that they do. And yeah, mm. I remember the conversation we had about Hong Kong that the locals would get offended at us if we said, "Well, Hong Kong is its own territory. Fine, it's, it operates kind. Of, it does operate under you know China, but it has its own system. Like, no, it belongs to us." And they didn't compromise on that, but they didn't have reasons to say why it did so they have political awareness they just have this patriotic belief that we are here we own this that and the other and we and but there's no i never found any subset answer or reason of substance i was very confused i kind of gave up okay clearly they they love their country but blindly right but it's not their fault because that's how they've been conditioned
1: yeah and i mean i i remember same thing that you said. Like, I've tried to have these conversations with some of the, some of my friends there. And I would just hit a wall, you know. I would, there was nothing that they could say. I don't know if they felt like they couldn't say anything negative, obviously. Like, maybe they, obviously, if they, especially we were texting. I, I don't think I would have a conversation over texting. But, um. yeah, with, with Hong Kong, I remember, like, someone, one of my co-workers had said, like, oh, I think that, like, the U.S. and these other countries need to mind their own involving right. them this isn't this is China's business and we are going to deal with it how we should and like it was this kind of that thing and I was like well you know I don't know much about what was happening in Hong Kong but I remember like they were very upset um when specific politicians had like spoken up like American politicians had spoken up about like oh we side with Hong Kong and all this and they were like very upset about that um and along yeah, the no, Taiwan thing Oh, go ahead.
0: No, no, finish, finish your point.
1: Um, with the Taiwan thing, I was talking to someone offhand, and I had seen, I think it was when, like, Taiwan had, like, legalized gay marriage, and was, like, the article was, like, the first, one of the first, one of the first major, like, Asian countries to legalize gay marriage through, like, the whole country. And I had told her that, and she was, like, what, what did you say? And I was, like, um, I'm a gay country. And I was, like, maybe? I don't really know. She's, like, no, Taiwan belongs to China. And, like, just kept saying it. And, I, and she was just, like, laughing that I had mixed it up. And I was like, oh, yeah. Uh, oops. Like, okay. Dive into it. <laughs> yeah. I had already known, like, what the answer would be because I just forgot. I just slipped out. And she was like, yeah, no, no, it's part of China. Yeah. Don't forget that. <laughs>
0: yeah. but well, there There isn't a level of political awareness. I'm, I'm only talking about Chongqing. I wonder if Beijing would be different, but... I, no- I noticed that people, our generation and Generation Z, Z, whatever you call them, they were obsessed with phones and sort of, now we have TikTok, but back then it was mainly just WeChat or wishing as they call it, and a lot of obsession with watching Korean dramas and Japanese dramas. I would constantly see this almost every day on the metro. People are watching like videos social media anything that's trending um a new band but they but you would never see them watching the news we would never and i I kind of gauged from that and from our conversations i've had with our friends and with our colleagues they actually are not politically what's the word astute But then they've never really been raised that we have. They don't vote. They don't have democracy in that sense. They have that one party. They've had President Xi for God knows how many years of their life. They're used to that one party system, right? So, and it just made me realize that it's so easy for us, and it's so easy for our Western governments and our media to say that, you know, what, 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 I suppose it's so easy for them to kind of look down really at China and assume there's a lot of assumption that people want to be free. Right. But it kind of Mm -hmm. leads into that question of, but do they really know that they're not free? Because that is not the impression that I got.
1: So I am so glad that you brought that up because I remember talking to some of the TAs or like even some of the other local teachers. And I was like, well, um, because obviously, you know, we had we had like access to the like, private network to get outside of China, obviously, um, and they were like, "Oh well, why do you have that?" And I was like, "Well, use you know Instagram or Snapchat or any of these apps that I can't, that I can't use." use. Um, and he was like, don't you don't you ever want to use like Instagram or any of these other apps or whatever?" She's like, "No, no, I have everything I can." I have everything I need here, like, you know, on the, China, on the China server. Like, they have their own version of Instagram. They have their own version of Snapchat. They have their own version of every we have, like Twitter or whatever. There's a Chinese version of it, and they're all using it and, and they're all on it. And she was like, Yeah, no, I don't think that there's anything I want to change. And it was just that there's no realization that there's any different living than how they're living now, which. Exactly. is not like it's not mm-hmm. something that's against them because i mean i think think of any american that's living in america that's never gone outside of the country or even outside of the state they wouldn't have any perception of life outside of their little bubble so why would they want to experience a change but
0: well, let's that's my question to you now as an american who grew up in that american bubble let's be honest and then who kind of was thrown into the Chinese bubble what specifically have you noticed about how similar because as a Brit it's such a mind-blowing experience I'm watching these two countries and these two peoples who are being portrayed or pitted against each other Like right, as alien uh, they have nothing in common one's a democracy and one's um, authoritarian and you know like one is better than the other and, and in China they think that they're better than you but in America you think they're better than them and so I, I have noticed how similar your conditionings really are so go on I, Wait, I need your perspective on this
1: so i mean as as a wee little american coming over across the big ocean to go to china i i expect it like completely different obviously culture wise different yes um i think the first thing that really caught my eye was i forget where I think I might've been like at like a local school, like an elementary school or somewhere teaching. um, And they were all, like they all stood up and they all like said, like they all were like saying this chant or like some song or something that they all would like sing. And they would like put their hand to their, you know, eyebrow like to salute. And they had all like their red handkerchief scarves around their neck, um, you know, because red's China's color. And then they're all excluding and saying this chant, and I was like, whoa, this is a lot of brainwashing for these little kids who don't know what they're saying, who don't know why they're, why they're you know, praising or whatever they're saying, you know, in Chinese about the government or their country or whatever they're all gung-ho and excited about. And then I, like, paused, and I was like, wait... <laughs> is this not the exact same thing that every American child does in every American school up until high school when they say the Pledge of Allegiance? You know, when they put their hand over their heart and they look at the flag every morning before allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, and like the the whole thing, the whole spiel. And none of us ever, like, questioned it, ever, like, said, I mean, I think, I'm not trying to brag here, but I'm just saying in 10th grade, I, like, stopped standing up for the Pledge of Allegiance. And I was also, just, just because I wasn't finished with my homework, so I was trying to finish my homework, but eventually I just like didn't do it anymore because I was like, this is dumb and I'm tired of doing this. But um, looking back now, it's like that mentality, that idea of saying, you know, this country is the best and this country, like I serve this country and I believe in this country and all that ideology from such a young age, like literally when you're five or six years old, you know the Pledge of Allegiance, like the back of your hand, like you, everyone can say it. And that was one of the first moments when I was in China and I was like, maybe there's not many, much differences between the US and China. Just like the, just the perspective, like as an American, obviously America looks like the better country. As a Chinese person, obviously China looks like the better country. I just, It was very like revealing to me in that sense. Um, And then even like earlier when you were talking about like, it was so funny, I forget what you were saying just today, um, like the blind patriotism, you said that. And I was like thinking about China here because I, I think that that is also very evident in America and American culture. Like to blindly believe that your country is the best and that your country is always right.
0: Right. To the point where you're sat in America and in China, looking at the, like, pointing at the other, genuinely seeing the other as uh, oppressive, interfering. Um, you don't want to be like the Chinese. We, well, by the way, I'm talking about the state. Right, We're never talking about the people. We're talking about the system. We never yeah. want the Chinese system. You know, we are free. And it's the same with the Chinese. Yet on the American side, there's this disillusion. And there's, no, there's an illusion, really. I call it. The, I call it the democracy myth, and we'll, we will tap into that in a different, like a different episode. Um, but just to briefly touch on it, is as as Americans have been distracted by the government, but mainly by their media, as they kind of feel sorry, you'll see China as the model to not follow. Well, what's happening in the states? You've got censorship. You've got deplatforming. You've got, you know, the Patriot Act, for example, which is surveillance, right? But it's I, done I mean, in a less, in a more subtle way, I suppose. And we've been, and di- you've been distracted. So so having having been in China and seeing actual surveillance everywhere, I know that you've come back like completely aware and you've kind of been going back in your mind going, oh, oh wait a second, because you mentioned the Patriot to me, you know, in post nine eleven. I was like, well, there you go.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now you understand, having lived in China, what surveillance is. It's no different.
1: And the thing with like, you know, when people, like, when we talk about cameras to surveillance in China, like, oh, wow, that's terrible. Like, that's, we would never have that here in America. And it's like, everyone knew what the Patriarch was when it was, like, they roughly knew what it was supposed to do. And no one had said anything about it. They were all like, oh, this is necessary. In this, and, you know, when this event had happened, nine they were like, this is the necessary next step to protect ourselves. And it's just that guys that America uses to trick its citizens to think that oh yes you need this observation for us to keep you safe um i mean they were already tapping our phones they were already listening to conversations they just now can do it and not feel and you know have this as their backup like oh well this is for your protection right. um and that and so I mean I not think... much
0: not much difference than really is there
1: between no, what it they not. do
0: and the, and the chinese government or the chinese system do
1: and i think the i mean like just like we were talking about like the that the Chinese people when we're talking to them, they're like, there's no perception that they're not free. You know, there's no there's no idea that, that the life that they're living is not, is, you know, oppressive. And I think in America, maybe not so much now because I feel like 2020 was a large awakening for a lot of the, you know, American population. For all, like, many people wouldn't think twice about the Patriot, Patriot Act. They wouldn't think twice about America being number one, there was, there was not much. There's no idea that that this isn't how life should be. Much like there is in China, like they're very, very similar.
0: And even the the issue of censorship, but sort of the American, but mainly the American, of oh well, the poor Chinese don't have freedom of access to information and they've been censored. Yes, but I see that more and more online. Particularly in America, where as identity politics becomes, you know, more and more increase, you have these left camps and right camps. I don't subscribe to any 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 extreme, but my point is, uh-huh. is you have a First Amendment entrenched in your constitution, which gives you legal right to post whatever you want to, right? So a Democrat could post something that's obviously pro Democrat, Democrat, and, and likewise a Republican. But you see more and more posts being taken down you see on facebook you see on twitter um well they'll say you know this this statement here is factually incorrect you'll see like whatever you think of trump for example he's been de- deplatformed. i don't believe in that because that goes against your first amendment which then throws the whole free speech into query and that is censorship
1: and i mean that and once like once again so just like with the Patriot Act, you know, that was a necessary thing that needed to happen after 9-11. nine eleven. Deplatforming taking Trump off of, you know, social media was nece- like necessary, I'm putting quotes in the airs, because of um what happened at the Capitol in January, whatever, earlier this year, earlier last year. Um, like it's it's all under it's always under the guise of like this is necessary to protect you from this happening again or from something worse happening. Um, this is for your protection, and
0: just like the Chinese put up cameras because it's for their protection, exa-
1: and exa- they exactly. accept it's, it. It's always yeah, and and no one, very few people were upset that Trump. Would... I obviously don't like most of what Trump says, but I don't right. think that he should have been taken off Twitter. Like I mean, he just like you said in the First Amendment, like he has the right to say what he wants to say. If people interpret that. In some other way, that's not, on, that's not necessarily on him. But, I mean, that is, Dan, like a small little step into censorship that no one is really seeing. And, like, and as you were saying, I don't know if you were kind of mentioning I this. Think,
0: I think no one's really seeing it because people are getting lost in the kind of noise of identity politics. I don't want to tap into this quite so deeply now. But my my point is, is I'm bringing these examples up just to say that this myth or this narrative of these two systems are so different and, and oh how amazing it is that we're not like the other is not actually true. We're actually, you're all converging in the same direction. Um, but yeah, go on, Luke. I'm gonna move on in a second, but do finish your thoughts.
1: Um, yeah, no, no I, I didn't mean to like go off on like a little rant, but um, the last piece to this um, that I think is maybe is the segment of what we're going to talk about next, but um, maybe not. But you had said police state when referring to, to China. And at that time, when I was in China in 2018, maybe I didn't as much see a comparison to that. But I mean, now here in 2021, I think we can both look back over the past year and how can we not describe America as a police state um, as from what we've seen over the past year? How can anyone not describe America as a police state? Um and even so, I like, compare it that much to China. Like, I don't see much of a difference in that way either. And that, I think, is, you know, three... We have, we have the beginning of censorship, we have surveillance, and now we have a police state. So three right. huge things about China that make China China that are also very much so in America, just a little bit under the radar if you're not paying attention. Yeah. Scary.
0: Because, and, and it doesn't... Um, a police state like, doesn't have to be police out in their droves demonstrating and physically showing themselves to be present. Like you said, it's these subtle ways, tapping from surveillance, all these things we don't even think about, whilst being distracted by news, news reports, mainstream that I don't trust, trust anyway, because like I said, look for the grain, things are never black and white, whilst being distracted by our prevailing narrative, whatever country that we're from. I'm okay. we've we've sort of gone into this for a good hour now but i do want to talk about even more of a gray area so what most americans and brits or just westerners in general don't know is how americanized um the millennials particularly and the generations that below them generation before them really are so go on as an american this must have been really interesting what i'm
1: sorry what specific
0: I'm, t- In I'm talking about, for example, yeah, I was surprised that American, the Chinese, EF, for example, specified American English. Why they do, God only knows. It's a courgette, not a zucchini. It is an aubergine, not an eggplant. It was the bane of my life to stand there and hold a flashcards, reading out these disgusting words. <laughs> like, really? Okay, off, Parents are off. paying for American English? But on the news, they don't like each other.
1: <laughs> First off, can I just say you were going to try and teach a three-year-old to say the word "aubergine"? I can barely say that word, and I'm very. Well, much that's in because you're theory. American,
0: and I, <laughs> I can't help that you've already been corrupted. <laughs> we have to cut it off um, its head.
1: No, but in that sense, there is such a weird disconnect, because like, as you just said, like the in the in the media, and obviously in politics, America and China are not friends. They do not like each other at all. But every person that I had met, almost, almost every, like, local person I had met in China was so excited to see me. So, like, not the, obviously not the local teachers, because they see foreigners all the time, but, um, like, the people, if I would go hiking or if I would go anywhere, they would want to take pictures of like, Oh, where are you from? America. Oh, my God. Like, they would say they'd be very excited. They wouldn't take pictures. They would, like, they would ask me if I like China. and I would say, obviously, yes, because I did. I loved it. But. They were so excited, and and they wanted to. They and, and even my students, like they'd be like, "Oh, well, what do you want to study when you grow up? What do you want to do?" He's like, "Oh, I want to live in America. I want to go to America." Like, even these are like the kids that are ten, eleven years old. Like, "Oh, I want to live in America. I'm gonna have a big house in America, and you know, live there." And and there's such this perception idea of the American dream that is so alive in China. It's so strange if you. You know but and then, if there's a political spat, then they don't like each other, but they love American culture, they love the idea of america
0: and that's where you have to separate people from politics, because, like you said, there's such a love for Western culture, particularly the American culture I mean, there were so many Starbucks already in Chongqing, but they kept building a huge expand- mm-hmm. expanding chain branch of of Starbucks. I remember. During our induction, we were told, um, Mm. you know, to go to Pizza Hut, for example, in Chongqing is considered a status thing. To use a knife and fork is such a treat. And I I noticed that people coming to Starbucks, I would go there to use the free Wi-Fi and not always order a drink. But many people would go there to take a picture of themselves with whatever they've ordered to show that they've been in Starbucks because it was a status thing. And hip hop culture is rife. We We would see so many young men. With like the shaved, you know, that, you know, when they shave Nike or some sports design into their head Uh, or they do braids, African-American culture, the black American culture in particular, the low waisted jeans, you'd hear the hip hop music blaring, basketball, they would love, I think it's the most popular sport in in China. Every black American colleague of ours would get stopped because they thought he was somehow related to Kobe Bryant, who is probably (laughs) the biggest non-Chinese celebrity in America, in China.
1: Yeah, I, I, especially with sports, and especially like with Starbucks and McDonald's and Pizza Hut, like all of those places, like everything that you know, you, when you think of America, you think of all these things. They loved it, and they loved basketball, and they loved, um, and it was so funny because they, some of my friends were there. Oh, like what do you, like so? Is it true that all Americans eat? hamburgers like they only eat hamburgers and cheeseburgers and that's all they eat and i was like absolutely not like where did you hear that and they're like well i just see on on tv and in the movies they're always eating right. hamburgers
0: we eat potato chips too
1: <laughs> we call them french fries <laughs> <laughs> but uh asked me like oh so um you must you must have like a big house like the kardashians like you you must be really rich and it was like no. They're like, so everyone doesn't live like the Kardashians? I'm like, no, that is America. See, There's such
0: a They're getting that from because they're not watching the news, right? They're watching American reality TV and, or MTV or whatever it is that they watch. I don't even – my knowledge stops there, so you'll have to like, help me out. but And that's MTV. what they perceive they perceive American culture to be and they want that, right? I, I was teaching a couple of teenagers who were 15 and 16 and teacher, 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 have you ever been to California? No, and they were reeling off rappers' names, they were reeling off cars, they've seen the music videos. And I was like completely stunned. Like, I read The Economist. I don't know what he's talking about. But but like you said, like the American dream, that white picket fence, that that perception of the American, just mm. I don't, and materialism and, you know, like the kind of the fast life that they really associate with America. And I, I had a student that left to go to boarding school um, or university, no, it wasn't university, I think it was boarding school in the States. There is such a an awe and a love of Western culture that, that you don't really hear about within China.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think, like you said, a lot of the perception is, like, because many of the people I had talked to, they would just ask me if something was true. Like, is it true in America that this happens? And- the reason for asking me was because I saw it in this movie, or I saw it in this TV show. That that's everything that they know about America. You're right; they're not watching the news, and I mean, I don't think that they would get much news. Life in America is really like, um, but yeah, I mean, their perception is exactly that: materialism. everyone's always like, "Oh, you must be so rich because you're from America." Like everyone's rich in America is, I guess, the perception.
0: you yeah. guys, think this has been a fantastic conversation. I think we've dispelled some myths. Um, and we'll definitely like continue this you know these kinds of narratives that we're told that aren't true in a different episode I'm sure but just to close out like how has China changed us or changed you rather Um, I have a poem that I'd like you to kind of introduce at the end um, and that pretty much does it all for me but fundamentally like with everything that we've talked about I still really enjoyed living there, and I'm glad that I did because now I'm no under, I'm not under any illusion, and I don't, you know, I don't believe everything that we're told about other countries, and certainly, especially when we're doing this very things that we're being warned against in other places. So that's how it's changed me in in a respect. I I loved it. I'd go again.
1: I honestly like going to China and like living there for a year was probably like one of the best. Decisions that I have been made and I really do love, I love the experience I had there. I love the people I met. I love the country and like the people there, you know, it was, it was beautiful and it was, it was a wonderful experience. And I, I also think that it helped me realize a lot about America. Like, I don't think I would have had these realizations quite so soon. I experienced it. I experienced that was the complete quote-unquote opposite of America. You know, many things were different and many things did stick out to me, but there was many similarities that we, had, as we discussed in this episode. And those similarities, I think, were magnified by living in China. Um, and also I feel like the time that, I, you know, 2018 to 2019, I feel like it was just the beginning of the trade war um, between the mm-hmm. US and China. And I feel like that also kind of brought a lot out And there was a lot going on in America, and I just, I think honestly, from my time living in China, I've just kind of looked at America in such a different way now, yeah. that I feel you know, like
0: in, in some respects.
1: Yeah, no, I, I was just gonna say like I don't really know if I can consider it somewhere that I, obviously I grew up there and I, I love America, but I don't know how proud I am, um, to be you know there's that song I'm proud to be an American. I don't know how proud I am to be an American honestly after, after like all these. You know, um, what I'm learning from just living think,
0: in other countries. I think it's more the state, and it's not really like your experience, it's your people. You know, it's, it's, it's always separating people from politics, right? So you're not, you're not happy with politics. Of course you're not. But of course there are great and wonderful things about America that we do need to learn from, let's be honest. But no, I, I will say, this is going to sound really bizarre, but there's something so liberating about being in China or in a system where you're under no illusion that you're not in a free system if that makes sense so if you know you're going into censorship if you know you're going into surveillance as opposed to thinking you're free but you're really not and
1: no i I do i I do agree with that and and like and like you had said i feel like what i was saying was about politics in the country and you know obviously the people in america are wonderful and i have wonderful family friends there um but yeah I, i do think that living in china i mean there's Even though, like, you obviously censored more, there was just like a, I know, I felt, not, I don't want to say more free, but I just felt the ability to, to kind of, I don't know, relax because you know, like, there's all these cameras, there's all these things watching you, but you're just used to it at that point, and also, I mean, people are like, oh, China, I don't think, I mean, obviously, if you break the law, you break the law, but like there was just, like a lot of crazy stuff that i had seen that just happened that like was just like oh it's fine like whatever like as long as no one was brutally injured or you know anything it was fine like there was lots of crazy things happened but everything was fine it wasn't as strict as i thought it would be i guess is what i'm trying to say on like on the everyday i sense, think on that's still a sense. really
0: yeah but i think that's still a really bold statement because at the end of the day if something was to happen to us we could literally leave because we have foreign passports right if we were to do something horrific we'd be booted out but i think for people living there i think it's much more difficult um i know what you're saying no, yeah that's
1: that's I know what, what i you're saying like, right. i didn't
0: see i didn't see crime committed you just don't see things that we see in our streets and you know Working class rough neighborhood stabbings and shootings, like you just don't hear of these things happening in China, you know, and so having a police having a law and order is actually a good thing. Um, it's just a question of control of how much do they interfere. but I was, there were I positive agree. aspects like I, I was really impressed with safety levels and how nobody would ever harm you because they know this, the consequences, and that's a good thing to be aware of the law and to practice civility um, and you know orderly behavior because there should be consequences but I just that, don't know what those consequences are because I've never been inside the system like that so I, I just have no comment where that's concerned
1: yeah and that I mean is a large mystery but I think that's one of the things that really surprised me the safety because it was very very safe and the, and one more comment so I know we um wrap up soon but when I when I asked like some of my local friends like, Oh, would you ever visit America or would you ever want to live there? Some of them like some of them were like no. Like some of the, my coworkers like the the local <laughs> stuff would be like no. no. And I was like, Why? And they're like, well it's so dangerous. America is so dangerous. Everyone mm. has a gun. And that was a perception as well. Like alongside everything else, that was also a perception. Um and it's so funny because in the op- like you know, in America, my friend before I left, my friend was like, "Be safe. It's very dangerous in China. You don't know what can happen." Like you know, and I get there and I'm like, I couldn't be any safer than. I mean, Japan probably much safe. I mean, just as safe, if not safer than China. Like, but it's just very ironic how both countries are like. You know, I mean, in America, it's quite dangerous, but both countries are just like the other ones, extremely dangerous, <laughs> right? Uh, but okay, but...
0: well, I am a little bit sad that we're closing out on our beloved Chongqing, but you know, we can always bring it in wherever it's relevant in future episodes for sure. And I still want that reunion with our group of friends. We've got a fantastic, you know, extended family now, really, out there in Chongqing and in China, and it's always going to be something that we're connected to. It's where we met. You know, it's a special place for so many of us. Um
1: hey, well, and good
0: to meet you out there for a, a reunion at some point. But
1: yeah, this was the special. end this is the
0: end of, of our um our Chongqing Chronicles.
1: Yeah, I hope that our listeners enjoyed our little dive into central China. Um we definitely both recommend you visit Chongqing when borders open and you can go. Um my recommendation is definitely go there. And if you want any places to visit, hit us up and we can send you some locations. But as we close out on this final um, episode on the Chongqing Chronicles, we will share a lovely, lovely poem, read and written by none other than Annie um, called Ode to Chongqing. And it's just, we'll just dive in and have a listen. But thank you guys for listening for the first three episodes. And hopefully you'll love what's coming up next. Off to you, Annie.
0: Ode to Chongqing Dark-haired, dark-eyed beauty Hard-worked, humbled, bound by duty Fascination with the foreign, stops and stares. Watching alien faces gaze upon their wares. Smiles and excitement, young children pointing in curiosity. Cultural exchanges and confusions, sporadic results of hostility. Lack of knowledge of the other, filtered concept of reality. Irrelevance of language barriers through hearty displays of hospitality. Hua jiao, huo guo, gan guo, mian, Kao bao Tsu, tang yuan, liang mian. Such aromas, such smells, such spices galore. Around round tables where laughs and friendships occur. In a city with signs of accelerated developmentalism. Wintry ailments, mass mouths shutting out contagions. Folk dancing, hot summers, an atmosphere eclectic. Bright lights, good vibes, both deeply impressionistic. Ingrained structure, civil practice, minimal traces of crime. Late night wanderings made possible, no fear in mind. The gratitude and nostalgia that doth inevitably bring in remembering the unique spirit I found in Chongqing.